recorded live. Hello, this is William Fink, and this is Krista getting a Saturdays. Today is Saturday, July 28th, 2012. I, I don't have much of a progress report on the moving of all the Christagenia websites. WilliamFink.net is moved, and, and a few sites related to my internet business. I'm awaiting delivery of three servers. As soon as I get delivery of those servers, and I'm sure it'll be by Monday morning, then Christagenia will begin to move. There is some preparatory work that I can do between now and then, which, of course, will be done by Monday morning. I, I, I probably should have said a few things last night to people, and, and that was the purpose of last night's program, but I winged it, and um, I didn't say everything I wanted to. There are people with email addresses and FTP web spaces on PlymouthNewYork.net, server space and on Christagenia server space. If you have an email on Christagenia server, on, on any Christagenia account, you're probably, you better download your email because you're going to lose it. If you have an email on any Lysopolis, John844, or PlymouthNewYork.net account, you will maintain it and your mail will be moved with the website. That's because the way I set org email up a few years ago, I, I left it on one-on-one -on -one servers when I moved to my own, and, and I can't recover the email. I'm even going to lose some of my own messages unless I download them. So, Bill, you know, the Christagenia blog, how's that doing? I, I don't know, Brian. I, I, I haven't looked. It'll move with Christagenia, right? It'll be moved this week. But the... Um, the, the people with FTP spaces on Christagenia, on, on um, PlymouthNewYork.net, all the files will be maintained, and probably the week after next, they will have FTP access once again to their files. It's going to take um, probably a week to do that because it's not the highest priority, and, and I'm sorry, that's the way it has to be. Any... Um, and any service outages which are expected at Christagenia.org will, and I doubt if there will be any, but just in case, they will be announced on WilliamFink.net. I have the servers necessary. All I need is delivery of them, and, and I can start work on moving my sites. And Christagenia will not be down. Praise Yahweh. Everybody that's been helping me with um, meeting my server expenses and things like that, I thank you very much. Very, very much, and I'm sure the community does also. Okay, tonight um, I had planned on addressing some of Ted Pike's insipid comments concerning Christian identity because I've had quite a few requests to do so. I am going to do that here next Friday, and, and I promise that, Yahweh willing, that, that I'll see to that. And, and I wanted to address that tonight, but I had promised Sword Brethren last week to do a program on Deuteronomy 28 and this internet article on, on the end of the American Dream.com, which he thinks is very relevant and, and very good and, and, and related to our times and the situation that we're in today. So I have Sword Brethren here to discuss that. Hello, Brian. Hello. Thank you for having me here. Before we start, I'd like to I'd like to read part of Deuteronomy 28, and and this is the um, I'm going to skip over the good part. I'm going to skip over the first 14 verses, which announce the blessings for the children of Israel if they obeyed the law of Yahweh. That's not applicable right now, so we can get right to the curses. 
Well, well, right. It certainly is not applicable right now, and we can get right to the curses. And, and that starts at Deuteronomy 28, chapter 15. And I'm going to read some of these so that we can keep them in mind when we read this article. And perhaps when we read the article, we'll talk a little bit about what, what I'm going to write about in the Saxon Messenger editorial this month, which is like half written, and, and I'm pulled away to do other things. And, and that's libertarianism, which is actually, you know, the, it, it's become the political philosophy of practically the entire, um, I should say, right wing in, in you know, voter block in this country. And, and libertarianism is actually evil. And, and I'll comment on that a little later. Well, they're now, abrogating their moral responsibility to God to maintain a just society. Well, well, you know, I'll talk about it later, but libertarianism is actually a way that, that we convinced good people that Sodom and Gomorrah had a right to exist. That's the bottom line. Sodom and Gomorrah, of course they don't have a right to exist. But, but we have good Christian people actually defending Sodom and Gomorrah's right to exist that's totally repulsive. So libertarianism is basically libertinism, isn't it? They're libertines. Well, well, absolutely. It, it's it's the perfect political philosophy for the evil satanic Jew. Okay, here's Deuteronomy twenty-eight fifteen, and the curses of disobedience, which were pronounced on the children of Israel if they departed from the laws of Yahweh their God. But it shall come to pass if thou wilt not hearken unto the voice of Yahweh thy God to observe, to do all his commandments and his statutes, which I commanded thee this day, that all these curses shall come upon thee and overtake thee. Cursed shalt thou be in the city, and cursed shalt thou be in the field. Cursed shall be thy basket and thy store. Cursed shall be the fruit of thy body, meaning thy children, and the fruit of thy land, and the increase of thy kind, and the flocks of thy sheep. Cursed shalt thou be when thou comest in, and cursed shalt thou be when thou goest out. Yahweh shall send upon thee cursing, vexation, and rebuke in all that thou settest thine hand unto for to do, until thou be destroyed, and until thou perish quickly, because of the wickedness of thy doings, whereby thou hast forsaken me. Yahweh shall make the pestilence cleave unto thee, until... He has consumed thee from off the land whither thou goest to possess it. We see that going on around us right now. Yahweh shall smite thee with a consumption and with a fever. How many of us have cancer? And with an inflammation and with an extreme burning and with a sword and with blasting and with mildew. The mold problems we've had down south are incredible. And they shall pursue thee until thou perish. And thy heaven that is over thy head shall be brass, and it is in all this heat, right? And the earth that is under thee shall be iron. Yahweh shall make the rain of thy land powder and dust. From heaven shall it come down upon thee until thou be destroyed. You know, we're in the middle of an epic drought right now, aren't we? Well, well yes, and, and, and changing temperature patterns and lengthening summers and shortening rainy seasons. It's incredible. It's just basically, it's atrocious, it's abysmal. We've had a, an absolute lack of rain, and up here around the Great Lakes, normally we've had probably 10 to 15 or even 20 inches by July, and here we are, and we've maybe had 2 or 3 inches the whole summer, and the whole corn crop is basically a write-off. 
And they said that this is a drought without precedent in our state. Verse 25. Yahweh shall cause thee to be smitten before thine enemies. Thou shalt go out one way against them, and flee seven ways before them, and shall be removed in all the kingdoms of the earth. And thy carcass shall be meat unto all the fowls of the air, and unto the beasts of the field, and no man shall fray them away. Yahweh will smite thee with the botch of Egypt, and with the emeralds. Well, that sounds terrible, right? That's hemorrhoids. And with the scab, and with the itch, whereof thou canst not be healed. Well, I think that would have to be venereal disease, wouldn't right? it? An itch for which there's no cure. Think about herpes. But Yahweh shall smite thee with madness and blindness and astonishment of heart, and thou shalt grope at noonday as the blind gropes in darkness, and shalt not prosper in thy ways, and thou shalt be only oppressed and spoiled evermore, and no man shall save thee. Thou shalt betroth a wife, and another man shall lie with her. Thou shalt build a house, and thou shalt not dwell therein. Thou shalt plant a vineyard, and shalt not gather the grapes thereof. And, you know, I could find dozens of articles where people have homes along the Mexican border that they can't live in due to the cartel violence, but they can't sell the home either because no one will buy it. So they end up leaving and basically abandoning their ranch, and they have to move elsewhere, and the home is just a write-off, and the cartels take it over. So they built a house, and they don't get to live in it. And arguably, I mean, we, we could plant 10 acres of crops in the – USDA or some bureaucrats could come and they could eat up eight of those acres or they could say, oh, you, you have to leave this field fallow because you're covered under this Farm Act. So you may have 50 acres, but you can only plant 10 or 20 or whatever some bureaucrat decides you're going to plant. Well, well right. We, we have all sorts of manifestations of these curses today. It's not only along the Mexican border. It's in every major American city. How many people have bought houses? Not, 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 not as much today, but it's still going on today. But it was going on e- even more in the 1950s and 60s and 70s and, and the urban blight phenomenon. You know, when I was a kid in school, they tried to convince us that urban blight was natural. Urban blight is only caused by one thing. Negroes. Urban blight is caused by Negroes. Urban blight in all the northeastern cities was caused by Negroes. There is no other cause for urban blight except Negroes. Now, in the American Southwest, you can say that urban blight is caused by mestizos, but it's basically the same problem, right? There's not enough of our people, and there's too many of their people. And correct me if I'm wrong, but in 1930, 40, and into the 50s, Newark, Philadelphia, those could have been okay places to live. Well, well, they were okay places to live in until the fifties and un, until the sixties and seventies. Thine ox shall be slain before thine eyes, and thou shalt not eat thereof. We call it what bovine disease, mad cow disease. Taxes. Thine ass taxes too, right? Thine ass shall be violently taken away from before thy face, and shalt not be restored to thee. Thy sheep shall be given unto thine enemies. And thou shalt have none to rescue them. You know, in the sense that an ass was a method of transportation back then, there are numerous case files out there you can find where somebody, he was the the owner of a truck and he was renting it out to somebody. The person had contraband in it. The police arrested the man with the contraband, and then they, they did civil asset forfeiture against the truck. And the owner came forward and said, well, that's not his truck. You can't seize it. I'm the owner. 
it belongs to me. And the police said, oh, no, it was involved in a crime. It was There was contraband. We're seizing it under civil asset forfeiture. And now the man is out of $25,000 truck. Well, well so, it's been a lot worse than that in, in, with other properties, especially with real Absolutely. Property. I mean, you, you can lose your property through no fault of your own. You know, you right. rent it to someone who turns out to be unreliable, and you have no control over what they're going to do or what they may do against the law, and all of a sudden you lose your property because the police want to gobble it up. Well, well, it's worse than that. It, it, I, I saw it, there's a post on the Christoginia forum somewhere that I posted a couple of years ago about a um, a, a large motel, and, and it's a motel, right? It's a one-story, sprawling, laid-out motel in in um, New England that was being confiscated because the police estimated that more than two percent of its customers had been involved as felons at one time or another. That, that means nothing to me. It, it means absolutely nothing, period, because more than 2% of the nation have, have, you know, the population of the nation have had felony arrests. Well, so I mean, 50% of all Negroes are felons, and I think at the way they're going, I wouldn't be surprised if 10% of white men had a felony rap. Well, that, that post is on Christogenia, and I, 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 I think the last time I heard the case was still undecided. It was still not resolved totally. There was First, a... Well, Bill, you know that marijuana is pretty um, rampant in the wild. It's very common to find wild-growing marijuana. So there was a man in Southern California with a ranch, about 70 or 80 acres, and I think it was a 12,000-square-foot house, a fairly well-off man. And the um, county sheriff's department was short on money, so they held a meeting, and there was a county official there who ended up giving some details later to the media, and he kind of blew the whistle. He said at the meeting they discussed how if they found just 18 marijuana plants on this guy's ranch, even if they were wild growing in the woods, that they could initiate civil asset forfeiture on his entire ranch. So they, they get a SWAT team. They storm the ranch at 2 in the morning, and they kick the door in, and the man's going downstairs to hear what's going on because his wife is screaming that there's a home invasion. And they claim that he made a sudden move, but they um, ended up shooting the guy dead. And his wife, if she hadn't been a woman of means, wouldn't have been able to contest the forfeiture. And I think last I heard, the case was either still ongoing or she had just somehow managed to avert them stealing the ranch. But the guy's dead now. Well, well Brian, tyranny is a result of sin, right? Uh, I mean, that's the story of the Old Testament, right? The, the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, and, and they, they were punished with tyranny for it. Whether it was the tyranny of a wicked king, or whether it was a, the tyranny of an invading alien tribe really doesn't matter, right? It's still tyranny. Tyranny is the result of sin. That's what we have here in, in Deuteronomy. Verse 32, well, thy Bill, sons and daughters given me, under another people, and thine eyes shall look, and fail with longing for them all the day long, and there shall be no might in thy hand. I, I mean, we see this race mixing all over the place today, and, and a lot of people are disgusted with it, and they can't do anything about it. And, and I just wanted to... Um, 32 is a perfect example of that. Before we move on, I wanted to say that, you know, we had the opportunity, the option, however long ago, to have Yahweh as our king, but our people being fickle and, and vain demanded a king who would be, a, you know, a man, a mortal king. And they got more than they bargained for. And here today, we don't really want God or Jesus as our king. We want the government as our king, don't we? Well, absolutely. Well, we, we want God as king, period. And, and when the government becomes our king, the government becomes our God. 
And that's why we're suffering under the oppression of the government, because we've made them God when Yahweh is God. Oh, you look for the government as the cure for your ills, that then the government becomes your God. When people rely on the government to, to make things right, to heal them, to, 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 to get justice for them, well, well, then the government becomes your God. It, it's very clear. And, and once the government becomes your God, then the government has the right that really only God has to regulate every facet of your life. Absolutely. Yeah, you know, we could, yeah, you know Christ says my yoke is, is easy and my burden is light. If we followed the Ten Commandments and, and sought um, self-reliance and sought the blessings of our God, then we, we would be blessed with a fair and just government. Romans chapter 13. If we seek to oppress our neighbors, if we vote to fill our bellies, if, if we seek the justice of men and, and, and we seek to install governments that are going to give us something that we did not earn with the labors of our hands, then we're going to be cursed with an evil government. Well, if that, we seek that, then we're all thieves and crooks and we deserve what we get. Well, well, that's absolutely right. We're seeking to oppress our brethren. And, and that's how the voting system in the United States has worked at, since at least the days of, of Woodrow Wilson. Well, everybody yeah. is seeking the productivity of other people instead of just seeking to do what they can with what they have. Well, well one candidate promises one class or caste of people um, things that belong to another class or caste of people, and the other candidate makes contrary promises, and, and the one with the most votes and the biggest promises wins, and, and the result is tyranny. I mean, that's what we live under, right? And in some cases, with thy sons and thy daughters being given unto another people, this is physical and it's forced. You know, um, how many young well, we, white women are in Israel right now? Well, well, it's, well, how many young white women are with Mexicans right now and Negroes? I mean... We see this going on right in front of our eyes, and it makes us sick. And, and the Word of God says that there shall be no might in thy hand. In other words, we will have nothing that we could do about it. it. It's that simple. It's one of those curses of disobedience. It's right there in Deuteronomy 28:32. And what did you say in, in Jeremiah 31? It said that the seed of Judah shall be mixed with the seed of the beast. Well, well, yes, that's a different prophecy, but that is the result of this sin. Yeah, you know, Yahweh didn't, yeah, you know, he foresaw it. That, that doesn't necessarily mean that it fits in with his divine will, but, but as part of our punishment, it certainly fits in with his permissive will. And, and it's, that it's a it's natural consequence of sin. Yes, it's the natural consequence of sin. It's our trial. It's our judgment for sin. And if it did not if it was not within the permissive will of God, it would not happen. It's that simple. Verse 33. The fruit of thy land and all thy labor shall a nation which thou knowest not eat up. We have who? The Mexicans and the Negroes eating up all the fruit of our lands, right? And thou yep. shalt only be oppressed and crushed always, so that thou shalt be mad for the sight of thine eyes. Just look at a welfare line and tell me that doesn't piss you off. Also, the fruit of our labor is being eaten up by the Jews over in Israel, aren't they? 
Well, yeah, it's, there's a lot of parasites, right? Yahweh shall smite thee in the knees and in the legs with a sore botch that cannot be healed. Now that sounds like herpes. From the sole of thy foot under the top of thy head. Yahweh shall bring thee, and thy king which shall set over thee, which thou shalt set over thee, that we have chosen to elect our own kings and reject Yahweh, unto a nation which neither thou nor thy fathers have known, and there shalt thou serve other gods. Wood and stone. What would so you this say? might be like that 35-foot wooden owl at the Bohemian Grove. Well, well, right, but we don't really need to look. Uh, I mean, I, I look at this allegorically, right? We are serving other gods, and, and that's because the God of this ape in the White House is not Yahweh, the God of our fathers, right? And, and he is, and, and this is true of our entire political class. Their aims and purposes are contrary to Yahweh, the God of Israel, and therefore we are basically, by having these people rule over us, forced to follow their idols, forced to worship their idols. Absolutely. And their main idol, of course, is money, isn't it? Money and jewelry. Pow, mammon. And thou shalt become an astonishment, a proverb, and a byword. Tell me white people aren't an astonishment, a proverb, and a byword today. Among all nations, whither Yahweh shall lead thee. And thou shalt carry much seed out into the field, but shall gather little in. For the locusts shall consume it. Thou shalt plant vineyards. And dress them, but shalt neither drink of the wine, nor gather the grapes, for the worm shall eat them. Thou shalt have olive trees throughout all thy coasts, but thou shalt not anoint thyself with the oil, for thine olive shall cast his fruit. Thou shalt beget sons and daughters, but thou shalt not enjoy them, for they shall go into captivity. Oh. And we look at this, we, we have to look at this in respect of modern culture, right? Uh, I mean, we have all kinds of parasites, we have all kinds of problems with the farming industry, with the agricultural industry, and the Jew keeps trying to sell us down the road to, 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 to genetic destruction of our plants and, and to the poisoning of our food supply with chemicals, right? In, in order to forestall the judgment of God, right? That, that's the way I look at that. And that's what's going on in our agricultural industry. If we weren't under the judgment of God for our sin, we wouldn't need the pesticides. We wouldn't need the, the um, genetic manipulation of our crops in order to try to um, reap a harvest, which is what's been going on for years now. And who's going to protect us? Do people think the, the – I mean, the FDA, here's a little blurb that – Margaret Miller, a former chemical laboratory supervisor at Monsanto, wrote a scientific report that was to be submitted to the FDA to obtain approval for a new drug. Shortly after the report was submitted, she quit Monsanto and took a job at the FDA where her first assignment was to approve the report she'd just written while employed at Monsanto. That's a joke. Yeah, it's all a Jewish crime ring, right? I mean, basically, that's what it boils down to, right? And while our um, sons and daughters may not be in physical captivity by sending them into the public school system or the government school system, or for that matter, any organized school system, even the, the parochial schools, any of the private schools, they're being brainwashed and they're now mentally and psychologically captive. They're beholden to the enemy. Well, well our children are in captivity because, because we don't have godly families. 
We dissolve our families when our children turn a certain age. We put them out in the street. The culture encourages them to go out into the street, and they end up in debt immediately. Where historically, multi-generational families in one household, that was the norm. The idea of the nuclear family with mom, dad, several kids, and then as soon as Junior turns 18, he goes out the door. That's basically 1940s, 50s, 60s, and maybe into the 70s, but that's not always how it had to be, and it wasn't normally that way. Normally, the grandparents and the the, um, children would be in the household for a while. It's not normally that way. When I was 18, my father wanted me out of the house. He he wanted me out of the house, so I left out of the house. I I had my own apartment at 18 years old, and, and I was in debt. I was in debt immediately. I was basically in captivity. And that's what we do to our children today. And, and, and that's the Jewish culture. That's the Jewish model of culture. Get them out of the house at 18, get them married young, get them off the farm, get them into the cities, get them in debt. They're in captivity. Get your kid, I mean, today, in, in an ideal world, if I had a... Um, if I had a home and, and my youngest and, and my son, you know, took a romantic interest and got married, I, I would want him in my home. I wouldn't want him out on the street in debt. And, and if I had to bang another room onto the house to make room for his kid, then I would bang another room onto the house. I get the hammer and a saw and some wood, and, and I, in an ideal world, I wouldn't need a Jewish permit to add a room to my house, right? Exactly. I mean, and that's one thing they're really doing against the Amish. The Amish typically will have maybe a five or ten acre plot, and when the son comes of age, you know, he'll get an acre or two and they'll help him build a home. But now the um, zoning boards are saying, oh, you can't do that. You can't parcel off this land. This is, this is parceled for one home. He needs to move somewhere else. And they're trying to force these 20-year-old Amish boys into the cities. Well, well, it's been going on. You know, they did it culturally through the television and the movies. And, and yeah, yeah they're, they're, it, it's the... Um it's the ongoing destruction of the the white American family. There's no doubt. You know, my dad was about uh, 21 in 1979, still living at home as a uh, a technician, doing work in a chemical factory, and he was making about nine or ten dollars an hour, which he said was pretty decent in '79. But you know, living at home like that, you're able to save up money. Well, well, right. If if your your son and daughter daughter-in-law, I should say, if your son and daughter-in-law are able to live at home. Until they, they, they and work, right? Until they get enough money to purchase a home and they're not in debt, think of the head start that they have in life. I, I mean, they may be 30 by the time they get out, but it really doesn't matter, does it? Then the Jews and, don't have them over a barrel. And, and in that way, the Jews don't have them over a barrel, and the grandparents have a much greater influence on the upbringing of the grandchildren, and that's necessary. That's extremely necessary. It makes for much more mature, stable, responsible families. There's no doubt. And I think the family's more cohesive and there's more love. Verse 42. All thy trees and fruit of thy land shall the locusts consume, or maybe the Mexican. The stranger that is within thee shall get up high above thee, and thou shalt come down very low. And, and when you look at the Negroes around you with all the government jobs and you're an unemployed factory worker, don't wonder why. Just read Deuteronomy 28. He shall lend to thee, and thou shalt not lend to him. 
He shall be the head, and thou shalt be the tail. Moreover, all these curses shall come upon thee, and shall pursue thee, and overtake thee, till thou be destroyed, because thou hearkenedest not unto the voice of Yahweh thy God, to keep his commandments and his statutes, which he commanded thee. And, and they shall... Know. Were the commandments and statutes all that much? I mean, the atheists always say, oh, God's a taskmaster. He's an oppressor. He has all these laws, blah, blah, blah. You know, read Deuteronomy and Numbers. You know, there are hundreds of laws. Well, the IRS, they make the Bible basically look like, a you know, a brochure. They have, what, a 500,000-word tax code, however many volumes. The Ohio Revised Code is 300 pounds and is contained in 34 books, which incidentally the Talmud is about 34 books and 300 pounds. So, I mean, are God's laws really all that difficult? Absolutely not. And they shall be upon thee for a sign and for a wonder and upon thy seed forever, because thou servest not Yahweh thy God with joyfulness and with gladness of heart for the abundance of all things. Therefore shalt thou serve thine enemies which Yahweh shall send against thee. The, the, the Negroes and the Mexicans, they're part of our punishment. That's why they're here. That's the only reason why they're here. If they weren't part of our punishment, they wouldn't be here because they certainly don't belong. That's why in... in, in um, I believe it's um, 2 Chronicles 7.14. It, it's, um, if my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, a man who lies with a man shall die, the word of God says, and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. And you know, it, it's you that simple. When you said, if a man lays with a man, they shall die, it's also written, their blood be upon them. But we're so far gone as a culture that not only do they not recognize how wrong it is, they denounce God for saying that they shall be put to death. And they say that God is a hater. Because he doesn't approve of their, quote, alternate lifestyle. Well, well right. Well, that's just the breaks. And that's Old Testament new, right? Yeah, Paul, God is intolerant. Well, why wouldn't God be intolerant of sin? In the book of Romans, Paul's talking about, um, I, I don't want to say homosexuals, right? I want to say sexual deviance, male and female, hmm. where he says, that, and he lists it, the, the things that those people do and, and talks about them and talks about their treachery, basically, against society, against civilization. And, and he says not only those who do those things are deserving of death, but also those who approve of them who do those things. So, so if you approve of sexual deviance, if you, and this is the libertarian attitude, right? The liber, I, I was confronted on it. Um, you know, I, I saw my brother and my sister-in-law. And, and when you see people you haven't seen in, in 17 years, it, it's very mindful of where you came from, right? And, and my sister-in-law, well, well, now it's been about three weeks, three weeks ago, she said to me, 
and this line has been heard a million times, right? And, and she said to me, in, in defense of a certain sexual deviant, she said, well, I don't care what he does in his own house as long as he doesn't do it in front of me. And, and my response to that was, well, if you don't care what he does in his own house, then which one of the little boys in your neighborhood are you willing to sacrifice? Because if you have sexual deviants in your neighborhood, there is no doubt that they're going to corrupt some of the boys in the neighborhood. That's what sexual deviants do. Very few sexual deviants, uh, probably no sexual deviants, are sexual deviants on their own in their own house. It doesn't work. I I imagine most adult queers are not content to just go find one adult queer and have a long-term relationship. They said that homosexual men are incredibly promiscuous. Well, well, they are incredibly promiscuous. And, and so are sexually deviant women incredibly promiscuous. I think and, there must be some sort of nihilistic viewpoint or worldview that they adopt because there's a, a, a certain gay subculture called bug hunting where they'll get a bunch of gay men at a party and they have fetish, they um, turned HIV into a fetish and they'll get somebody that's HIV positive to you know, go around with eight or nine guys in one evening and give each of them HIV because they consider it a badge of honor. Wow. The profligate lifestyle. You know, what's it written? Um, Who knowing the judgment of God, that which, that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but consent or have pleasure in them that do them. So that's what you were saying. Those who approve are just as guilty. Well, well those, that's what Paul's saying, I'm, and, and the King James language is, is a little difficult there, but basically, Paul, and, and I'm going to get the Christogenian New Testament out in a minute, right? I, I, I just didn't have it handy for this program. They've been given over to a reprobate mind, and that might explain why they're involved in this subculture of, quote, bug chasing. And well, well right, but the reprobate mind is, again, and, and Paul explains that in Romans chapter 1, the reprobate mind itself is a punishment for rejecting God. And, and, and we, it, it's pretty obvious that not, I mean, there are some sexual deviants who attempt to profess Christianity or attempt to profess piety, but the God that they are professing is not the God of the Bible. They might be kidding themselves into that, but it's certainly not. I mean, you can't embrace Christ and, and be a sexual deviant. Uh, I, I mean, Christ clearly said that he who loves me keeps my commandments, and he's referring to the, the, the moral laws of the Old Testament, which are only encapsulated in the Ten Commandments. Now, now in, in, in the Christogenian New Testament, Paul says, um, he, he talks about the nature of, of those people who commit these heinous acts, and he says, such as these, knowing the judgments of Yahweh, that they practicing such things are worthy of death, not only those who cause them, but also they approving of those committing them. So, so if you approve of a, a, a sin, you also are liable to the punishment of that sin under the law. And Bill, I once heard it summarized roughly that God doesn't hate the gays because they're gay. They're gay because God hates them and that he's totally given them up. Well, well in Romans chapter 1, it's explained that, that, that um, sexual deviancy, that, that being led into that mind frame is a punishment of, 
uh, from God. But if you recognize that, then, then you will correct the behavior that caused you to be punished. I, I mean, that, you know, if you touch a hot stove and you get burned, you stop touching the stove, right? Unless you're an idiot. Well, well, right, but today's sexual deviance that they want to deny that sexual deviancy is an evil, and so, that compounds the, the wickedness of their sin. No they want to put their hand on the stove and deny they're getting burned. Right. And they have an entire society around them telling them that it's okay, the hot stove won't hurt you, in fact, the stove isn't even hot, that there's no difference between the hot stove and the cold stove. So with that sort of society, how can these people repent and come back to God? Deuteronomy 28:48. Therefore shalt thou serve thine enemies, which Yahweh shall send against thee. You know, we pay over 50, I mean, the average working couple in this country pay over 50% of their income in taxes. If they're not paying it directly in income taxes, it's getting frittered away in property taxes, in sales taxes, and, and a whole lot of other taxes, right? Well, you know, Bill, the, um, the cost of forced busing, and this is from 2006, according to net.unl.edu slash swi slash pers slash bus dot html, 15 million per year in Omaha, Nebraska alone, 25 million a year in Boston alone, and in the entire history of Kansas City, the Cato Institute, cato.org says that Kansas City has spent 2 billion dollars in about 4 decades of forced busing. Can you imagine has, it hasn't educated one negro. <laughs> well, I think yeah. they've educated they've educated them in the concept that the white man is a fool and can be easily exploited and cowed in the submission by Shrill cries of racism and hate. Right. Let me try to finish Deuteronomy 28 this week. Uh, okay. Therefore shalt thou serve thine enemies, for which Yahweh shall send against thee in hunger and in thirst and in nakedness, and in scant want of all things. And he shall put a yoke of iron upon thy neck until he has destroyed thee. Yahweh shall bring a nation against thee from afar, from the end of the earth. As swift as the eagle flieth a nation whose tongue thou shalt not understand. A nation of fierce countenance, which shall not regard the person of the old, nor show favor to the young. And he shall eat the fruit of thy cattle, and the fruit of thy land, until thou be destroyed, which shall not leave thee either corn, wine, or oil, or the increase of thy kind, or flocks of thy sheep, until he has destroyed thee. And he shall besiege thee in all thy gates, until thy high and fenced walls come down, wherein thou trusted, throughout all thy land, and he shall besiege thee in all the gates throughout all thy land, which Yahweh thy God has given thee. Sounds almost like toll collectors, right? And thou shalt eat the fruit of thine own body, the flesh of thy sons and of thy daughters, which Yahweh thy God has given thee, in the siege and in the straightness, wherein thine enemies shall distress thee. Now, now that's typical of the sieges of ancient cities, right? Also, in a figurative sense, this could be abortion, right? I mean, they're eating the fruit of their own body, or they're destroying, they're consuming the fruit of their own body. All right, or or sending your kids to work because you can't afford to feed your family. I I mean, there's a lot of ways to look at it, allegorically, as well as literally, right? So the man that is tender among you and very delicate, his eye shall be evil toward his brother and toward the wife of his bosom and toward the remnant of his children, which he shall leave. 
men who show inherent weaknesses, right? So that he will not give to, to any of them the flesh of his children whom he shall eat, because he has nothing left him in the siege and in the straightness, wherewith thine enemy shall distress thee in all thy gates. The tender and delicate woman among you, which would not adventure to set the sole of her foot, Upon the ground for delicateness and tenderness, her eye shall be evil toward the husband of her bosom, and toward her son and toward her daughter, and toward her young one that comes out from between her feet, and toward her children which she shall bear, for she shall eat them for want of all things secretly in the siege and straightness, wherewith thine enemy shall distress thee in thy gates. We're not quite at this point in America yet, but it might be coming. We're not in a literal military-type siege, but we are in a cultural siege. Well, right. If thou wilt not observe to do all the words of this law that are written in this book, that thou mayest fear this glorious and fearful name, Yahweh thy God, then Yahweh will make plagues wonderful, and the plagues of thy seed, even great plagues, and of long continuance, and sore sickness, and of long continuance. The, the repetition is in the text, right? Moreover, he will bring thee all the diseases of Egypt, which thou wast afraid of, and they shall cleave unto thee. Also, every sickness and every plague, which is not written in the book of this law, then will Yahweh bring upon thee until thou be destroyed. And we have more and more sicknesses, newly discovered sicknesses and plagues every year. I mean, so far they haven't been major, but, but it's... It, it's always being played up in the media, and it's always a looming concern, right? Well, Bill, right now, aren't we even getting new sicknesses literally from Egypt? West Nile virus. Right. And, and ye shall be less few in number, whereas ye were as the stars of heaven for multitude, because thou would not obey the voice of Yahweh thy God. And it shall come to pass that as Yahweh rejoiced over you to do you good and to multiply you, so Yahweh will rejoice over you to destroy you and to bring you to naught. And ye shall be plucked from off the land whither thou goest to possess it. And Yahweh shall scatter thee among all people, from the one end of the earth even unto the other. And there shalt thou serve other gods, which neither thou nor thy fathers have known, even wood and stone. Well, you and know, Bill, this can't possibly apply to anyone other than our people. I mean, granted the Jews have been scattered, but... They voluntarily scattered themselves and dispersed themselves amongst the various host nations, but Jews have never served other gods. In fact, they've, they've never served Yahweh God. They only pay him lip service when they're in a host nation that won't tolerate Judaism and its Babylonian rituals. For the most part, they are their own god, and they serve themselves. Well, well that is true, that the Jews have, this is never, none of the Old Testament has ever been applicable to Jews. Right? The, the Jews have never served, um, you know, they've never converted to Confucianism or Buddhism or Islam. I mean, granted, if the, the Mohammedans hold a sword at their throat and say, you know, bow to Allah or else, they may publicly bow to Allah, but that's not going to last, and they're not going to, you know, they're not going to sincerely practice Islam. It's a pretense. Well, well, just like Jews practicing Catholicism on the Inquisition was a pretense, right? And among these nations shalt thou find no ease, neither shall the sole of thy foot have rest. But Yahweh shall give thee there a trembling heart and failing of eyes and sorrow of mind, and thy life shall hang in doubt before thee, and thou shalt fear day and night, and shalt have none assurance of thy life. 
and and well, our people, many of our people who who live in 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 or near, not even the major cities anymore, but any large or, or any um, mid-sized city, it, it could be Jacksonville, Florida, it could be Des Moines, Iowa, and and with the influx of aliens and Negroes into all of those areas, and now with they're being pushed out further and further into the suburbs and rural areas from each of those cities, it's not now all of our people are living in fear of crime. I mean, it's the crimes against whites by, by squat monsters is incredible, and it's incredibly underreported in the media, right? Imagine Cape Town, Pretoria, Johannesburg, Durban, those places must be hell on earth. Yeah, yeah. Well, it must be like a like a landscape littered with Detroit's, right? <laughs> In the morning, thou shalt say, "Would God it were even," and at evening, thou shalt say, "Would God it were morning," for the fear of thine heart wherewith thou shalt fear, and for the sight of thine eyes which thou shalt see. And most of our people haven't seen anything yet because they haven't seen Detroit, right? But it's coming coming to a city near you, and Yahweh shall bring thee into Egypt or into captivity, right? Again with ships, by the way whereof I spoke unto thee, thou shalt see it no more again, and there shall ye be sold unto your enemies for bondmen and bondwoman, and no man shall buy you. And that's the, the ultimate disgrace, right? You can't even, you're not even good enough to be a slave. Nobody wants you. And I think we're getting, we're getting to that point, you know, I've, a lot of the feminists, they moan and scream about how American men are going with, you know, Ukrainian, Russian, Polish, et cetera, former Comblock mail order brides. And it occurred to me that at some point women in Eastern Europe and elsewhere in the world will not really be too keen on moving into America. And American women may be looking to quit America and flee and go elsewhere. But for the average American woman, you know, 40% of them are obese. They have a reputation for, you know, sex in the city type promiscuity and bad personality. So I can't really see any middle class Russian businessmen springing to bring an American woman to, you know, Moscow or, or you know, Kursk or whatever it may be. So I think that they're kind of they're kind of going to be up, you know, what creek without a paddle. Well, well, nobody wants a woman who who's a promiscuous drunk and littered with tattoos. I have no idea what women today are, are what, what they're thinking, or, or the men either. It's that this society has degraded drastically in, in the last 30 years alone. I mean, 30 years ago, the, the, the young women that, that I um, associated with when I was in my late teens and early 20s, they wouldn't dream of, of a tramp stamp, right? They wouldn't dream of, of, of smearing tattoos all over their bodies, even 30 years ago. And, and now it's commonplace, and it's not only commonplace. Uh, I was in um, Wilkes-Barre, Pennsylvania the other day, and, and I, I stopped for gas, and, and I walked into the convenience store for something to drink, and there were three or four girls in their late teens standing outside. Three of the girls were white. One of them was pregnant. One of the girls was black, and the only male was an obvious mestizo, and my odds of that baby in that pregnant girl being white are about one in a hundred, maybe. And one of these girls, a real pretty girl, had a new tattoo on her shoulder, and she was showing the black girl, and, and she was bragging about her new tattoo, and she was talking about what she was going to get on the other shoulder soon, and, and I couldn't help but hear it 
as I walked into the convenience store, and it just turned my stomach. That that's the state of our youth today. That that they're um, I don't know. It's total lasciviousness. I, I don't see how this could go another two, three generations. I, I I can't figure it out. There was an article on MSNBC. It said 28% of women and 26% of men have tattoos, and for the first time, the women outnumber the men. And they interviewed some women, and one said that it's a show of confidence, that you can make a decision and stick with it your entire life. And it says a lot about you. And my dad says, yeah, it says that you can make a mistake you're stuck with for your entire life. Yeah, right. It, it is. That's what it really is, right? You're making a mistake, and, and it's stuck with you, not you're stuck. You're not sticking with it. And, you know, my dad, my dad told me not that he frequented those sort of joints, but you know, doing the, the blue-collar factory work a while back, you know, I think some of his friends dragged him to a, a, a dancing-type, you know, exotic, you know, gentleman's-type club once or twice. And he said back in the late 70s, early 80s, that you wouldn't even see a, a girl, you know, on the, on the dance floor like that with tattoos. He said no, no one had tattoos back then, basically, except rock stars and sailors. Well, well, right. When when I was a boy, when I was a teenager, that the occasional sailor, the occasional Vietnam vet, and and the occasional former state prisoner would have a tattoo, right? And, and those men were, were were few and far between. A tattoo. Well, when I was a teenager, a tattoo was still kind of um, kind of rare on, on adults that that only had only had certain experiences, and, and usually pleasant experiences. Well, right today, I mean, I'm, 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 I was talking to my brother a couple of weeks ago. You know, he, he's, I did um, 25 years in, in the prison system in one capacity or another, and, and my brother did 31 years in the Navy, and neither of us have a tattoo. And, and neither of us would think about a tattoo. So, so that's, that, that's how far the society's turned around in 30 years. It's incredible. Okay, you want to get on to this article. Um, this is from endoftheamericandream.com, and the title of the article is Why Are So Many Bad Things Happening to America? I wonder. It says, have you ever wondered why things have been going so badly for the United States in recent years? Our economy is falling apart. We've been plagued with heat, drought, and endless natural disasters. Our cities are absolutely crumbling. We just keep getting involved in even more wars, and Americans are more anxious and more overweight than ever before. So why are so many bad things happening to America? Why do we lead the world in so many bad categories? Why does nothing seem to be going right? Are we under some kind of a curse? And I believe Bill and I just addressed that with Deuteronomy 28. It is almost as if we have entered a perfect storm that just keeps getting worse. In the old days, it would seem like something bad would happen to the United States every once in a while, but now massive problems seem to be hitting us in rapid-fire fashion. At this point, many Americans have crisis fatigue because our problems never seem to end. Each new crisis just seems to overlap with all of the problems that are still going on. So why is this happening, and what is our country going to look like if our problems to continue, continue to multiply at this rate? And just to comment on our cities collapsing, the American Society of Civil Engineers gave our overall infrastructure GPA a D, I believe, or a D minus, and that covers roads, hospitals, airports, inland waterways, canals, irrigation, bridges, dams, etc., and especially our power grid and sewage. And they said that we would need to spend 
I think four years ago, they did a documentary called The Crumbling of America, and they said that we would need to spend at least $2 trillion over the next five years to get it up to a C plus. And, of course, that money hasn't been allocated and it hasn't been spent, but we still have money to give to the Israelis. We have money for Section 8 housing. We have money to piss away and foreign aid the countries that hate us. We have money to finance the overthrow of Gaddafi and interfere in Syria, but we don't have money to repair our bridges and dams. Yeah, you know, people don't realize what, what taxes do to the, to, the, to the nation's capacity, to our race's capacity to sustain itself, right? Uh, I mean, none of, our, none, none of our infrastructure is being repaired, and, and that's true. So where's our tax money going? And, and it's really going down a black hole. It's going into the cities. It's going into the welfare agencies. It's going to the Negroes. It's going to the Mestizos. It's sustaining those people and allowing them to multiply themselves against us while our infrastructure has, to a great extent, been ignored for the last 40 years, ever since the great society and the institution of it. That the, um, if a family makes $40,000 a year, a family of four makes $40,000 a year, and, and if it costs $15,000 to house and, and, and clothe that family or $20,000 to house, clothe, and, and, and feed that family, and, and, how, and, and the rest of the money is being eaten up in, in day-to-day costs, transportation costs, and taxes, how does that family grow? It's taxes. Well, what taxes do is they they destroy the disposable income that families would otherwise have so that they could grow, right? Well, we're not meant to grow. The Jews don't want us growing. Well, well, absolutely. So so even the smallest, um, like a 10 or 15% tax rate, it is very damaging to a family living on on forty or $50,000 a year. I don't think there's ever any cause for people to pay more than 10%. And there should be no property tax. There should be no inheritance tax. And there probably shouldn't be a sales tax either. I think well, well, property taxes, property tax. Income tax there should be, but yet, you know, for 100 years in this country, that there was no income tax, right? Exactly. And originally, the original income tax would have been on gains on things such as stocks and investments. It wasn't a tax on your wages or salary from your direct physical labor. Well, well, if we didn't try to bring our pets home and, and, and make them like us, we wouldn't need taxes, right? And property tax is particularly pernicious in that, say you have a, a woman such as my grandmother, her house is paid off, but all she has is Social Security and money she saved up over the years, and I, I won't discuss her financials, but let's say you're a widow and your house has property tax that you have to pay 10000 a year in and you just can't afford it. Well, the government's not going to say, oh, that's okay, you've already paid so much and you work so hard over your life, we'll just waive your property taxes. They're going to throw you out in the street, take your home and sell it. If it's really and truly your home, no one should be able to divorce you from it. If it's your well, property, well, it's your property. Well, well, that was the old English law. That's the common law. Ever since 1912, every tax scheme has simply been a way to oppress the people, to tyrannize the people, and to steal from them. But the bottom line is that we have those, the, the Jews... That, that had the, the Federal Reserve Act and the income tax passed in 1912 and 1913, were only able to do that as a judgment from God against our people for worshiping all of the idols of the Jews. Uh, I mean, the, the Jews have moved into this country, set, well, well, in significant numbers since the 1880s. They set up vaudeville acts. 
that they set up um, uh, all of their little burlesque halls, their gambling halls, their, their prostitution, and our people bought all those things, and that further empowered the Jews to oppress us and to tyrannize us. We empowered the Jews to tyrannize and oppress us. We did it in the 1880s, 1890s, 1910s, 1920s. We frequented Jewish movies. We frequented Jewish burlesque calls. We purchased Jewish media, and we empowered them to do these things to us. And what was it you said in an honest Christian country, the Jews would starve to death or leave? Yes, they would. They would be forced to starve to death or leave in any honest, truly Christian country. If no, if no one frequented the Psalm, right? The 82nd Psalm is not talking to Satan in heaven. That idea is absolutely asinine. The 82nd Psalm is talking to the children of God on earth. God stands in the congregation of the mighty and judges among the gods. How long will you judge unjustly and accept the persons of the wicked? We should not accept the persons of these antichrist bastards that are running loose in our nation and, and able to buy it up. We, we shouldn't accept their persons, period. That means we should accept nothing about them. We should have nothing to do with them. The so, 82nd Psalm, that's what it's really saying. When they got this star culture launched in the 1880s, 1890s, if people had united and rejected as a society the burlesque and all that nonsense, then more Jews would not have moved to this country because there wouldn't have been opportunities. Murray in Manhattan wouldn't be writing to his cousin in Germany saying, oh, burlesque is all the rage in Broadway. Move today. You know, I'll have a job for you. Well, well, it's like 10 million ticks on a pig's ass, right? And real quick, I just want to, to rattle off the um, report card for America's infrastructure, 2009. And this is, again, from the American Society of Civil Engineers. Aviation, D. Bridges, C. Dams, D. Drinking water, D-. minus. Energy, D+. Plus. Hazardous waste, D. Inland waterways, D-. minus. Levees, D-. minus. Public parks and recreation, C-. minus. Rail, C-. minus. Roads, D-. minus. Schools, D. Solid waste, C+. Plus. Transit, D. Wastewater, D-. minus. Infrastructure, GPA for the nation, D. Five-year need, $2.2 trillion. And I posted the um, link in the chat to the executive summary and to the overall PDF, so anybody that's interested can read about it fully for themselves as to how the criteria was established and how those ranks were achieved. But while this is going on, our infrastructure, our cities are crumbling. They're pissing away trillions. They're basically taking... Well, hasn't a lot of the infrastructure been privatized? Well, to the extent that I believe the, um, I think the Pennsylvania Turnpike is owned by the Kuwaitis, the Ohio Turnpike is owned by the Saudis, the Chinese own the Panama Canal, large portions of the nation. I think on Long Beach, the only deep water port on our Pacific coast is now owned by um, China. What is it? Uh, by China for 20 years now, right? Yeah, the Chinese bought that. So. It's not just privatized in the hands of, you know, Anglo-Americans. It's privatized in the hands of alien enemies. Well, well why would they want to, want to um, improve on private structures like turnpikes if, they, if they're used as profit centers, right? right? I mean, that makes no sense at all, right? That they just want to profit from those things. They don't care if they fall apart. They'll get a, a bond issue from the people of the state to rebuild it if it falls apart. They do it all the time. Look at the sports game. 
Uh, look at the Jewish. It's a Jewish sports game. I mean, I know that a lot of the people that have owned sports teams in the past have been non-Jews. But, but it's basically a game of bread and circuses, and it's a Jewish racket, and it's um, that these sports teams get all kinds of free publicity only because they associate themselves with a city. They don't need any advertising. They don't need to buy press. It's a private business that's totally subsidized at public expense, and, and they get these, these um, city governments and state governments to build them great stadiums, well, well and, and they don't pay for the stadiums, and, and it's all about civic pride. And, and basically, it's all about idolatry. It's all idolatry. You know, um, the Cleveland Browns claim they needed a new stadium. They were able to get the city to foot most of the cost of the $300 million bill for building the stadium. And I wonder, one, where did the city get that money? And two, constitutionally speaking, 51% of people do not have a right to vote the other 49% having to pay for a $300 million project for a private sports stadium. Well, well that's been going on ever since the country was instituted, right? <laughs> and that's, that, that comes down to patronage and, and um, Graft. people using the government for, for their own profit and, and people expecting the government to solve their problems and, and, and eventually the government becomes a tyranny and, and the government becomes a god. All right. Which is the position that our nation is in right now. People look to the government as our people look to God perhaps 300 years ago. Now they look to government. The article, heat and drought. This summer, thousands of new high-temperature records have been set all over the country, and weather conditions are much drier than normal in most of the nation. Right here, we've broken all of the records. I'm amazed at just how horrible it is. I mean, you know, we're east of the Mississippi, so typically we're supposed to get a lot of precipitation, especially up here near, the, you know, the, the Great Lakes, and we're at an all-time low. This is Some people are calling it a biblical drought, and I would say that they're – they didn't mean it literally. They just meant it figuratively, but they're on the mark without knowing it. Well, I'm not really a doomsday, right? I, I wouldn't be here um, like some other Christian identity speakers would be here, um, you know, trying to make people worry about portending um, tragedies to the national economy and to our well-being. However, the, the weather patterns of the last couple of years have clearly not been good, right? I, I mean, that's pretty obvious, right? Nope. I'm not saying the world's going to end in, you know, three or four months here, but we're in for some tough times. There's no doubt. The droughts down south are worse every year, and, and throughout the Midwest, they're worse every year. The heat is worse every year for the last several years. Go on. To continue. In fact, the drought that we are experiencing right now is being called the worst drought in more than 50 years. More than 1,000 counties in the United States have already been declared to be official disaster areas, and there is no end to the drought in sight. All over America, this drought is killing the corn, and is, this is causing the price of corn to soar. The following is from a recent Financial Post article. Chicago Board of Trade corn for December delivery has soared 54% since mid-June, reaching a contract high of 7.78 on Monday and approaching its record price near $8. Soybeans for November delivery soared to a new contract high of $15.97 before slipping back a few cents. Crop watchers were alarmed that corn rated poor the very poor 
jumped to 38% versus 30% last week and 11% a year ago. And this is just more of how wicked our system is. We're allowing people to speculate on corn delivery and soy delivery with futures contracts. That's just a Jewish Ponzi scheme, basically, isn't it? Well, that's been going on for 150 years, right? I don't know how old the Chicago Mercantile Exchange is, but it's pretty old, right? Well, we've been allowing the Jews to take all the profits from our agriculture for, for at least 100 years, well, without doubt. The Jew has taken all of the profits from our agriculture through the mercantile exchange for at least 100 years. And, and, others, and, and the farmer gets nothing, right? The farmer gets pennies. And then ultimately the farmer is wiped out and it becomes agribusiness owned by someone like Monsanto. Well, well, our system, you know, our system, the, the entire system, the, the way that um, commodities and, and food is traded in this country has always been built on speculation. Well, we've always had that centered on speculation. And I don't know when we've had that on, on a fair trade system, ever. What does it say? Seek ye first the righteousness of God, or seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added on you. Take therefore no thought for the morrow, for the moral shall take thought for the things of itself, sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. So these people that are wondering about futures six months in the, down the road and hedge funds and hedging their bet and leveraging everything, that's evil. They're not trusting in God. Well, well that's true. That's true. It, it's gambling, but you're gambling with, with the futures of your people and, and, and the ability to produce it, if you're gambling on commodities and, and especially on food. And someone commented in the chat, if it wasn't for food stamps, there would be starvation in this country, or there'd be a lot of weight loss and there'd be a lot of backyard and rooftop gardens going up all across the country and people would probably start having to hunt and fish. I think ultimately when faced with starvation, most people, I, I would have to believe that few people are so lazy, they'll just sit back and willingly starve to death. They would, they would do something to get food, even if they, they had to turn to direct physical stealing. Food well, well, if it weren't for food stamps, there'd be 500, there'd be 50 million less mestizos and Negroes in this country, right? Quite likely. And to continue the article, the record high for the price of corn is just 7.99 a bushel. Many believe that the price of corn will soon blow well past that price and could eventually reach $10 a bushel. Unfortunately, there is not much hope on the horizon. It is being projected that these very hot and very dry conditions will persist well into August wildfires. The extreme heat has also been responsible for an unusual number of wildfires in the western United States this year. The recent horrific wildfires in Colorado made headlines all over the nation. Sadly, these wildfires are part of a rising trend. The truth is that the six worst years for wildfires in the United States ever recorded have all happened since the year 2000. So what is causing this to happen? What is causing so much of the country to go up in flames? And interesting to note, Bill, Here's some outside information not covered in the article. Illegal aliens have been caught setting huge wildfires across the southwest over the last five or six years to distract Border Patrol. They figure if they have some friends that make a huge wildfire five or six miles from where they want to cross, the attention of Border Patrol will be focused on this huge emerging fire, and then they can penetrate the border further down the road. And they burn out a lot of white farmers in the meantime, right? They don't care about that, though. So these are obviously just people who are coming here for a better life to share in the American dream, right? They're just coming here to loot the nation and, and suck it dry. Right. 
I mean, go on. Why, right, why did the why did the Goths go to Rome in 410? It wasn't to become Romans and become model citizens, was it? Right. Well, the Goths were a lot better people than what Rome had become anyway. At that and, time. And and that that's a sad reflection on the state of our people, right? Mm-hmm. Most now, of our people aren't any better than the Mexicans are today. I, I mean, not that I'm promoting Mexicans in any way, but most white people today are, are 50 to 100 pounds overweight, and sitting in front of their televisions and sucking down swill and too lazy to work. And it's, we, we have some serious cultural problems ourselves. Right. And that's, you know, this is, this punishment is the result of that. So our civilization is being sacked by a people who are more organized and more disciplined. And it's not that they're so much better than we are. It's that we've fallen so low. Well, well, the average 30- or 40-year-old person, uh, and really I only look at the females, right? That's just because I'm a guy. But, but the average 30- or 40-year-old person I see out in the street is 30 pounds, 40 pounds overweight. It's disgusting. And that's on a good day. Right. You've seen probably a lot of women in the, the shopping malls that have to get those electric carts, not because they're legitimately disabled, but because they're too fat to move. Yeah, right. There's a lot. There's a lot of that going on in, in the Walmart here. The, the electric carts are always all taken. Hmm. Not that I look at them, but 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 it's it's pretty obvious, right? There's people with electric carts. And that, there was no such thing when I when I was a kid. People walked around the store, right? No matter how poor they were. Now, now all the poor people are fat. When I was a kid, all the poor people were skinny. I, I don't get it. I do get it, but it's just a commentary sure. on the state of our culture. Tornadoes. Earlier this year, many areas of the heartland of America were absolutely ripped to shreds by very powerful tornadoes. More tornadoes happen in the United States than anywhere else in the world, and unfortunately we have seen a tremendous amount of tornado activity in this country in recent years. In 2009, there were 1,146 tornadoes in the United States. In 2010, there were 1,282 tornadoes in the United States. In 2011, there were 1,691 tornadoes in the United States. Overall, 2011 was the worst year for natural disaster in American history. So where will 2012 rank when everything is all said and done? In thinking about where these tornadoes occur, it's mostly the southeast, the west, and the midwest. So, Well, well know, basically it occurs in white neighborhoods, right? So the media don't really care about it, right? They're all white people that usually get hit by the tornadoes. It's not like Katrina that hit all those poor black people and wiped them out, right? And incidentally, though, Katrina devastated Gulfport, Biloxi, past Christian, past Cagoula. It absolutely leveled the, the Mississippi Gulf Coast, much more, much more so than it did in New Orleans. But the people there, they, they banded together and did what they could to get through the disaster without raping and looting. Well, well and I, that's because those, those towns were primarily still white, right? And I just find it interesting, the location of these tornadoes. I mean, we all talk about the sin of places such as Manhattan and San Francisco, but we don't see an F5 tornado tear through San Francisco. We see it in the, the supposedly Christian heartland of America, maybe um, Joplin, Missouri, or Alabama. But that's because judgment starts at the house of God. That's why the Bible Belt is suffering the most. That's why the good white people in the heartland are suffering the most, because judgment starts at the house of God. He doesn't care about 
the damn tykes in Manhattan. He doesn't really care about most of the fags in San Francisco. He doesn't really care about the Negroes in Detroit. They destroy each other all the time, but that's besides the point. Judgment starts at the house of God. It's the white people that will suffer the most for all of the permissiveness and, and the acceptance of evil that has pervaded our society. The people who pay lip service and they profess love and obedience with their mouth and their lips, but their heart is far from him. Well, well how do you punish a Negro? How do you punish a Negro? What, what do you do? Take away his food stamps? The government's not going to do that. What do you do? Close the chicken joints down? The government's not going to do that. How do you punish a Negro? You can't punish a Negro. He'll sleep on the floor. They don't care. They, they have no, no society. They have no standards of civilization. They don't care how they live. They're destroyers, and, and they're parasites, and they live like dogs. They don't care. You can't really punish those people except to hurt them corporally. That's really all they understand, though. I mean, when it, when you boil it right down, physical force. Well, well, that's all they understand because the the, the only law in their hearts is the law of the jungle. So they don't care about the destination of civilization. Whatever they can get away with, they're going to do. That's why we have Detroit and Philadelphia, Fukushima, and in Cleveland and every other destroyed city in this nation. White people didn't go in and destroy those cities. All right, continuing. Fukushima. Radiation from the Fukushima nuclear disaster will be affecting Americans for many years to come. Most Americans do not think much about Fukushima anymore, but the truth is that Fukushima is still putting out a tremendous amount of radiation, and that radiation travels eastwards towards us. Now, I don't know if they're overhyping this, because the threat of cesium-137, it's mostly, it will, during its decay process, emit some gamma, but it's mostly a beta ingestion inhalation hazards so i mean if you're growing apples in an area that gets coated with beta particles from cesium-137 wipe the apple off physically clean it and don't ingest the beta obviously you don't want to ingest beta particles it would be considerably worse than being exposed to gamma which of course well, well, the information i get about fukushima mo mostly from 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 bob and calipari has an inside track on it sort of and and it seems to be that they're overplaying fukushima right I think they are. I mean, just like, um, just like that, that they overplay, you know, um, certain Christian identity pastors and, and other people were claiming that 500 million people are going to die in Europe because of the deep freeze with, with, with the, um, the, the interruption of the Gulf Stream two years ago, and, and it never happened, right? Hmm. I mean, we always had to be careful of hype, right? Some people want to become, you know, doom and gloom naysayers, and it almost sounds like the National Enquirer at times. Well, well, right. I mean, to, uh, I mean, the year before last, you know, all of Europe was going to be in an ice age because of the Gulf Stream, because of the oil spill, and it never happened, right? So, right. so I, I, I try to be um, practical about these assessments. To continue on, a couple of months ago, one reporter discovered that radiation levels and rain falling on Los Angeles were five times above normal. Now, he comments, but we don't hear about this in the mainstream media, do we? Some people have even claimed that it's so bad that alarms were going off at nuclear power plants in Arizona, California, and Washington State, but that there was a cover-up. And with 1,000 people working at each unit, a cover-up would involve five, six, 7,000 people and probably their immediate family members. And I don't think you could get that many people on board with a cover-up if alarms were going off. 
So Fukushima is nothing like Chernobyl. It's it's not a Chernobyl issue. And the rest of this, I think, is just conjecture and speculation about the effects of Fukushima and how we're all going to die and the sky is falling. So I'm, I'm going to skip this part because I just think it's bad science and it's reckless alarmism that's really backed up by well, well, I mean, a lot of this article is good, and, and it's pretty much on the money with the tornadoes. It's pretty much on the money with what with the weather patterns, the, the dust bowl effect that we're experiencing in the Midwest again. That There's no doubt, and, and this has been going on for 10 years, and, and there's no doubt about that. Now, now, will it get better next year? We really don't know. Is it, is, is it evident that it's going to get better next year? I would say certainly not. I would expect with, with the trend, you know, seeing that the word of God ties our economic prosperity to our moral behavior, I certainly don't expect it to get better. I expect it to get a lot worse. And most of the um, radioisotopes have a very short half-life anyway. So in the time it would take to come across the Pacific, most of it would be dispersed over the ocean in the form of rain. You know, the storm systems would just deposit it mostly on the ocean, and the um, the radioisotopes of iodine, which are the, the main ones that would cause thyroid cancer, that's the reason you take those potassium pills if you live near a plant. That's basically just a, a couple-week-long hazard, so that's basically... Well, well, right, but uh, I think the Fukushima issue is overplayed by the extra, by, by the alarmist media, I should call it, but but we don't need to be so technical about it, right? Sure, I mean, let's just not dwell on it and say that it's it's no... it's um, If you live in California, you don't need to move because of Fukushima, but you should move because California stinks. You, you should get out of California because of Mexicans, not because <laughs> of radiation. Exactly. Economic collapse. The last recession was the worst economic crisis that America has faced since the Great Depression, and our economy has never even come close to recovering from it. And I'd say in light of the cultural problems that there's no really family support structure, this present economic crisis is worse than the Great Depression. You know, my grandmother told me about what it was like during the Great Depression, how they would, you know, strangers would help each other out, and somebody might come by, and you know, they'd, they'd notice you had a cow, and they might ask for some milk and a place to stay, and they'd do some chores for a day or two. Our society now, though, is nowhere like that. If someone comes up to your house, you immediately think they're going to do a home invasion, and sometimes that is what they're intending. So many people are doped up on heroin, crack, cocaine. We don't have the sort of societal, charitable, Christian network that we had in the 20s and 30s. So this present depression is even worse when you look at the cultural issues. But today we have EBT cards. <laughs> so we, we don't need the societal Christian networks that, that we had in the 20s and 30s because we have EBT cards, right? The, now, the big thing, I think the biggest, the biggest adverse effect is the, the oppressive taxes. In, in the 1920s and 30s, People weren't quite as dependent on cash flow, and could, it was easier for them to live off a, a couple of sheep and a couple of goats and a couple of acres of land than it is today. All right. Now we are on the verge of another global financial meltdown that appears likely to be even worse than the last one. Peter Schiff, who, by the way, you should note as a Jew, the president of Euro-Pacific Capital says that the U.S. economy is headed for a crisis that will make the recession of 2008 and 2009 look like a walk in the park. 
So what is going to happen if the economy goes into the toilet and unemployment skyrockets much higher than it is now? That is frightening to think about. And there's not much dignity in poverty anymore these days, where people back then, they would try to sell apples on the street corner. They would do window washing, manual labor, day labor, whatever they could, and they were allowed to live in tent cities. And today, you try and sell apples on a street corner, the police are going to come by and want to know where your vendor's license is. They're going to confiscate all your fruit because it's not, you know, um, certified by the U.S. Department of Agriculture. And if you try and live in a tent city, they're going to call you a squatter and say you're trespassing, and then they're going to beat you up and throw you in jail. So really, they've basically made homelessness a crime. Poverty explosion. Even during this economic recovery, poverty in America continues to soar. For example, since Barack Obama has been president, the number of Americans on food stamps has risen from 32 million to 46 million. Overall, 49% of all Americans live in a home where at least one person receives benefits from the federal government, according to the U.S. Census Bureau. That is an all-time record high. And when you discuss something with somebody... You may criticize Section 8, and they get right on board with that, but then you criticize food stamps or disability, and, oh, no, you can't do that because their daughter's on food stamps and their son's on disability. You know, I mean, the, the government has made it so that with so many people scattered throughout the country, there's now, you know, like they said, 49% of all Americans live in a home with at least one person on a program. Their, their immediate family is probably going to be supportive of the big government nanny state because they have someone in their household directly benefiting from it. Well, well, the government wants everybody to be dependent on the government. They want to lock everybody into the system. They've destroyed um, any any chance to be truly self-sufficient and independent in this nation. They've done that on purpose. You know, I was thinking about how a lot of innovators just tinkered in their garage or in their backyard. You know, Samuel Colt making revolutionary leaps in firearms innovation. Smith & Wesson, Winchester, the, the gentleman who um, invented the, the diesel engine, diesel, of course, whoever invented internal combustion, I forget who did that one. But today, if I were to go into my basement and start tinkering, trying to invent the next great firearms innovation, not only would I not be rewarded, I'd probably have my door kicked in by the ATF and I'd get 10 years in a cell for engaging in unlicensed, unregulated, unlawful activity. And if I tried to make some sort of engine in my backyard, they'd say, oh, your property's not zoned for this. You're doing something wrong. So these regulations really stifle innovation, don't they? Well, well yes, they do. And, and the, the truth is that the international corporations that sought to move our manufacturers out of the nation are most responsible for the implementation of all of these regulations, right? And you know, Bill, the man who designed the... Um, they, they seek to monopolize on, 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 the, um, on, on industry and stifle any um, possible competition that they may have. Well, when they move their factories to China or to Indonesia, they, they don't want to leave an, a competitive climate behind because competition will rise up. Native competition will rise up and they won't be able to move their factories to China and Indonesia profitably. So, so the global corporations that have moved our manufacturing overseas, they are the ones that were behind the implementation of all these regulations here. 
And, you know, um, the inventor of the M1 carbine, he designed the short-stroke piston and the floating chamber operating system for firearms is David Marshall Williams, and he designed and invented that while serving a 20-year sentence in Caledonia State Prison in North Carolina. He was charged with first-degree murder of a deputy sheriff during a raid on an illegal still. He was um, The trial was a hung jury, but he accepted a plea of the second-degree murder to avoid a, a retrial because it would have been risky. It's unclear whether he actually did that or didn't do it, but he was in prison, and the warden saw how talented he was with you know machine tools and his um, designs on guns, so they let him work on guards' firearms, and they let him assemble his own you know, designs and prototypes in his spare time, and they put him in contact with patent attorneys, and he was able to patent stuff involving firearms while in prison. And we'll, we'll never see that today, will we? But that was at a time when I, I, I'm guessing the prisons were probably segregated, right? Prisons in the 20s and 30s, he would have been a, in an all-white prison? Well, chances are, yes. And then ultimately his sentence was reduced and he was released and they put him to work working on firearms for the War Department. The deaths of American cities. You're going to continue to read. Yes. The United States once had dozens of great manufacturing cities that were the envy of the entire globe. Today, many of those cities have degenerated into crime-ridden, drug-infested hellholes. Things have gotten so bad in Detroit that thousands of homes are literally being torn down in an effort to, quote, make the city safer. And just as a quick aside, back in 1920-1930, the two most widely regarded cities, you know, widely regarded as being the jewels of our country, were Cleveland and Detroit. And people thought that, you know, they were the trailblazing cities. They were where industry was king. They were where innovation was occurring on an ongoing basis, and when people spoke of the future of America, they spoke of Detroit and Cleveland. Today, you know, Detroit and Cleveland are laughing stocks that pretty much everybody in the country knows how bad they are, and most people in the world probably know about Detroit. When you're talking about a hellhole, they think of Detroit. I mean, well, that's people not... are right. They just picked the wrong future. <laughs> And then the quote from the article, as the next step in an April deal between financially strapped Detroit and the state of Michigan, Governor Rick Snyder is finalizing a plan to tear down thousands of abandoned houses in a bid to make the city safer. Detroit has been hard hit over the past four decades by a steep drop in population, a steadily eroding tax base, and crippling budget deficits, resulting in countless barren streets punctuated by vacant lots and burned-out buildings. And I'd like to point out that Detroit's tax base has eroded so precipitously and almost so in such a fashion that it, it's, in, it's eroded in its entirety. They're now trying to annex surrounding white suburbs and other counties so they can get a tax base. And, of course, the population declined in terms of white people leaving the city. And for that matter, most of the blacks that had the money to leave left, too, because they didn't want to be around their own kind. And now they're just trying to annex the inner belt suburbs. Right. Even it, when I was in Ohio and listening to the local AM radio, that was a big move in Ohio was municipal consolidation, right? And when that happens, of course, then those suburbs will eventually tank over the next 10 or 20 years. They were actually talking about taking towns like Youngstown, which are, which are now um, mostly Negro and mostly run down and joining them to the surrounding suburbs so that the surrounding suburbs can basically support the Negroes in Youngstown. Hmm. And, well, that's and that, a form of coerced wealth transfer. 
that that was actually a pretty big um, movement in in Northeast Ohio just four or five years ago. Now, I don't know if it's still going on. I wouldn't doubt it if, if they weren't weren't still pushing for it. They've been trying to do what's called declaring property blighted. So they they went into um, upscale suburbs, and they wanted to make way for these posh plazas and apartment complexes. So they'd look at these detached single-family homes and say, oh, you don't have an attached two-car garage, and you don't have two full bathrooms. You have two bedrooms and one-and-a-half bathrooms. Your home is blighted. We're going to give you you know 10% of market value, evict you, eminent domain, and then we're going to turn it over to a developer. And that was mostly at the behest of Jewish mayors, but there was a, a five, six-year-long lawsuit, and they put a hold on all of that. They stopped Well, it. what goes on in this country is that when your house gets declared blighted, 90% of your neighbors simply think, well, we're glad it wasn't us, and, and they don't care what happens to your house. And, and that, yeah, you know, people don't deserve their property when that's their attitude, right? Well, they did this to an entire neighborhood. They did this to about 100 homes in one clustered okay, area. The whole city should have been up in arms, right? But the entire city should have been up in arms. They should have driven the politicians right out of town. They should have lynched them all. Increase in crime. <laughs> have you noticed that crime is on the rise in many of our communities? You don't say. The murder rate in Chicago is up 38% so far this year. Well, How can Chicago have all this crime? It has basically a total ban on guns. What's going on here? Aren't the criminals obeying those gun bans? Yeah, right. Justifiable homicide rose by 79% in Detroit during 2011. And even though crime is high, the anti-gunners claim 30,000 Americans are killed in gun violence each year, although the FBI only records about 9,400, and that's counting criminals who were shot by police, and that's counting justifiable homicide on the part of citizens. And it's important to note that citizens kill in justifiable homicide twice as many criminals as the police kill. Criminals are getting bolder and are doing things that we have not seen before. For example, on Saturday night, a mob of 300 teens invaded a Walmart in Jacksonville, Florida, and went absolutely wild. Now, the article says 300 teens, but we should add the um, term there, Negro teens. They started stealing stuff, breaking stuff, and throwing food at each other without any concern for what the security guards would do. And I'm sure the security guards, having seen what happened to Zimmerman when he asserted himself, they weren't ready to do anything. They weren't willing to take that risk. When have we ever seen stuff like this happen in America before? Well, we've seen it before, but there were always consequences, and they were usually immediate, harsh, and brutal. And then it didn't happen again for 10 or 20 years. Wouldn't you say, Bill? Well, well absolutely. But, but yeah, right. Negroes came from trees, and when enough Negroes get sent back to trees, then maybe things like this will stop happening, right? The the um the the article it is um it is it, itself sort of deficient in that it doesn't point out that these are Negro teens, right? They're not teens; they're young apes. But it does it, provide a link to where you can find video footage of the incident, so. In that sense, you can see for yourself exactly what sort of teens are doing this. Well, well, right, but that video is a YouTube video, and it's already been removed, right? Hmm. It's around on the Internet somewhere, but the one that he links to is removed. America? Uh, I, know, I know it was black teens because I was in the Jacksonville area when it happened. Right? 
And in France, they just call them youths when the youths go out to turn over cars and start fires. But invariably and inevitably, all the youths are Moors and blacks. America already has the highest incarceration rate in the world and the largest total prison population on the entire planet by a very wide margin. We've got the communist Chinese beat, unless you count their political prisoners in the gulags. How many more people do we plan to lock up? That's a good question. How many people are they planning to lock up? It seems that in terms of construction, they're building more prisons than they are homes, aren't they? Well, well there's a reason for that. That's because there's no more industry. And therefore, the prison industry has come to become a subsidy, a way of subsidizing needy communities. And prisons are built under the... Um, that the umbrella of political patronage. And if you're a good congressman and you're a good boy and you vote certain ways, your district will get a federal prison and that'll pour millions and millions of dollars into your district's coffers because there, there is no industry to, to attract, to employ people. So we just put a prison there and that employs people. So instead of, you know, some 18-year-old getting a job in the textile mill or the factory for $18 an hour, he goes to the prison, they give him a, a stick and a whistle, and he, he's a guard for $11 an hour. Right. Exactly. I remember. A big, a, a big and, and another thing, and, and here's another thing that most people don't know, right? If you have a town of um, 10,000 people, and you get yourself a federal prison built to hold 3,000 prisoners. Not only does that bring in a, a lot of people from the region for, for um, you know, who visit the prisoners and spend money and spend money on gasoline and motels and food and restaurants while they're there visiting the prisoners. It also brings in four, five hundred, six hundred jobs into your town. And not only does it do that, but there are other hidden benefits. For instance, what, when the census is taken and, and your town or your county, the, the census figures are used to determine how much aid you're going to get from the federal government for crime and, and streets and roads and highways and things like that, how many new toys your sheriff's department's going to get from the federal government, like like submachine guns and helicopters and things like that. But, well, that... The, the, the inhabitants of the prison are counted in with the census figures. That there are so many um, benefits under our current federal system to building more and more prisons that, that it's, 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 um, it, it's become an industry in itself and it's profitable to imprison people. Here in, in the county that I live in, this county is a thousand square miles. It only how it, it only holds about fifty eight thousand people. There's very little industry. It's mostly farms. The people are mostly rural white people. But the county jail, they built the county jail for with like hundred and twenty beds. Now now there's never more than three or four locals in the county jail at any one time. But they purposely built the county jail with hundred and twenty beds, hoping to house prisoners from outside of the county for profit. And, and as long as that's the attitude, that, then we're going to have more and more people incarcerated every year. Well, I remember reading somewhere, I don't recall the exact numbers, but it was a comparison of today versus 1960s. 
And, of course, we're incarcerating a lot more people as a percentage per capita and absolutely in terms of total numbers. But it dealt with how many federal and state prisons we had. I think we had less than 20 federal prisons and less than 60 state prisons in 1968. And today, the number, it's over 1,000 combined. In terms yeah, of state prisons, right. The, the state prison, the number of federal prisons has gone up sixfold in 50 years. Easy, and that's the drug war. And a lot of people are also on probation or parole, or they're on some sort of, you know, court-monitored house arrest program. Absolutely. Yes, there's a and a considerable percentage of the population is um, under the auspices of, of the criminal justice system. That They're captivated by the criminal justice system in one way or another. Most of it related to the, the so-called war on drugs, right? And it's not even about restitution. You know, I mean, if somebody steals your vehicle and crashes it, the government finds them, throws them in prison, and you're left to go try and get a new vehicle if you have insurance, work it out, pay the deductible, whatever. Well, why should they pay the fine to the government? They didn't steal the government's vehicle. They stole your vehicle. They should be paying the well, fine well, to you. simple Phariseeism, right? It's all about the power of government bureaucracies, and bureaucracies are self-perpetuating by their own nature and, and always seek to grow, right? As soon as you institute a bureaucracy, it's going to grow every year because that's what political bureaucracies naturally do. It's inevitable. You know, Benjamin Franklin, in, in, in his biography, complained about the bureaucracy of England and how there was an office that they imagined an office for every function of life, to, to regulate every function of life. He complained about the bureaucracy of England 220, 230 years ago. And, and since the 1950s, we've had every facet of that same beast imposed here. It's a sign of tyranny. Bureaucracy is another sign of tyranny. All right, to continue. Meanwhile, even many Americans that are not considered to be criminals are becoming very cold-hearted. Just check out what happened in Arlington, Virginia recently. A video surveillance camera captured footage of numerous people walking right past a man that had just been hit by a car and was dying on the sidewalk. He was lying face down and bleeding, and nobody even went up to him to see if he was okay. If you were in a similar situation, would you stop to help that man? And I've noticed that a lot of people just aren't very helpful these days, and some people it's because they want to protect themselves. There was an article where a two-year-old girl in Britain was lost. She wandered away from her apartment and ultimately ended up drowning in a pond, and a man said that he saw her walking around, and she was clearly alone, lost, and confused. But he said he was terrified of the thought of being accused of a pedophile if he approached her and tried to take her hand or ask her what was going on. And so he said he just got as far away from her as he could because in Britain today, he said if, you, if you're seen near a kid like that and you're not related to the kid, you're denounced as a pedophile. And even if it is your kid, they might still denounce you. So the government has basically done a number on civic duty, haven't they? Well, 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 right, and and Arlington, Virginia, is really a um, a, a pretty urban mixed race population, and, and when when a population becomes mixed race like that, when you have all different 
um, ethnic element, elements living in the same area, they naturally become balkanized and, and, and all um, perceptions of neighborly love or brotherly love generally tend to disappear. Well, Harvard University just completed a long study that said the more diverse the neighborhood, the less involved people are with the community, the less they do in regards to charity and civic organizations, the less they know about their neighbors, and the less attached they feel to the community, and that they also tend to suffer from depression and anxiety more than an insular, segregated community. Well, that substantiates everything I just said, but I didn't need $10 million and a, and a, and a panel of academics to figure it out, right? Now, if, if the uh, Harvard University wants to give you some academics and $10 million, I wouldn't knock it. So maybe you should call them up and tell them you're willing to do a study on how racism is good I'm for the sure community. I'm string attached. I'm not taking it. Sorry. <laughs> and what is it? And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. We're really seeing that these days, aren't we? Absolutely. There's no doubt. And moving on. Gang violence. All over America, gangs are taking over local communities. And I would cynically say the largest street gang, or you know, we, we call them the police. According to the FBI, there are now a total of 1.4 million gang members living in America. And I'm guessing that's just counting the Bloods, the Crips. It's not counting local FOP units. Just since 2009, the number has risen by 40%. To get an idea of how deeply Mexican drug cartels have infiltrated our cities, just check out the maps on this article. As I wrote about the other day, there are only 200 police officers in Chicago's gang enforcement unit to go up against an estimated 100,000 gang members living in the city of Chicago right now. Well, well basically, if you're a Negro, you're a gang member, I guess, right? <laughs> With numbers such as those, it is easy to see how violence in many of our cities could spiral out of control very, very quickly. Well, why should anybody in Chicago have to worry? None of those gang members have handguns, right? Because Chicago bans handguns, and those gang members surely have a... They're, um, they have a, a love and a respect for the laws, the upstanding citizens they surely are. Right, Bill? I'm certain. <laughs> war. The United States continues to get pulled into more wars, and the conflicts that we are already involved in never seem to end. Just today, 22 NATO supply trucks were destroyed in Afghanistan. The war in Afghanistan has already lasted much longer than World War II did, and there is no end in sight. You know, we've spent longer in Afghanistan than the Soviets spent in Afghanistan, We've basically gone broke, and we have nothing to show for it. Meanwhile, Barack Obama has gotten the United States military involved in conflicts in Yemen, Somalia, Pakistan, and a whole bunch of other places. The following is from a recent Wired article. The center of the U.S. drone war has shifted to Yemen, where 23 American strikes have killed an estimated 155 people so far this year. But you wouldn't know about it, or about the cruise missile attacks, or about the U.S. commando teams in Yemen by reading the reports the White House sent to Congress about U.S. military activities around the globe. Instead, there's only the blandest acknowledgement of, quote, direct action in Yemen, quote, against a limited number of al-Qaeda operatives and senior leaders, end quote. And as an aside, a lot of the people that are being killed in Yemen are American citizens. And while they may be Arabs, if they have American citizenship and they can kill them in Yemen without due process, they can and will do it to white Americans here in the heartland, won't they? Right. South Jersey is next. Tennessee, Kentucky, whatever, the heartland, Alabama, it, it don't matter. Right. As soon as, you know, this government tyranny. Uh, I mean, wasn't there a law passed last year that the government could take 
citizens and intern them in, in foreign prisons without habeas corpus? Was that law passed as part of a... Exactly. Um, in fact, we now have a law in this country where, let's say you're my neighbor, and I see them kick your door in at 2 in the morning and drag you out and arrest you. They can hold you without charging you indefinitely, without legal consultation. They can hold you basically indefinitely. They don't have to read the charges against you, allow you to face your accusers. And if I speak up and say, hey, I saw them arrest Bill, and I put, a, put it on a blog, they can come arrest me for interfering with their ongoing case against you. Well, well no doubt. It's, it, it's, um, nobody's up in arms about it. In the bread and circuses society, that's the problem is our people, right? Our people are, are, are confronted with all these injustices and, and have total apathy, right? They don't care. that They care about the football. They care about the next NASCAR game. That's all people care about. And it doesn't matter that it's Arabs being killed in Yemen. These are people who have been given American citizenship. We've extended our, our rights and protections and our obligations and civic duties to them. So if they're being deprived of their rights without due process, if it can happen to them, it can happen to us, and eventually it will happen to us. And I wonder, are all these people actually terrorists? If they are terrorists and the government's so sure about it they're willing to kill them, then they can just as easily bring them into court and make the case, can't they? I mean, if they're so convinced these guys are terrorists, why don't they prove it in court? What are they afraid of? Well, well court's another joke, right? Federal court system is another joke, right? But they don't have to prove anything in court. They make assertions, and, and the judges refuse to admit all the contrary evidence, and it's over with, right? I've seen it firsthand. So it's a mock trial, a kangaroo court, the sort of courts that our founders denounced. Well, well, it boils down to Psalm 82. I mean, how long will you judge unjustly and accept the persons of the wicked? As soon as our people accept the Antichrist Jews, as soon as our people accept these animals as persons and, and, and all of these aliens as persons, well, well we, we, we've um, escalated down the road to, total, to, to the total degradation of our society and, and it, it's captivity by the, the Antichrist Jew. There's no doubt. How long will you accept the persons of the wicked? I, I don't know how to get that message across to people. It, it's it's um it, it's basically our first sin is the acceptance of the ungodly, and it's it's always results in the destruction of our civilization. To continue, the report issued late Friday is the first time the United States has publicly officially acknowledged the operations in Yemen and in nearby Somalia that anyone with internet access could have told you about years ago. But the report doesn't just fail to admit the extent of the shadow war that America is waging in the region. It's borderline legal at best. The War Powers Resolution of 1973 requires the President to inform Congress about any armed conflicts America is engaged in. Now, strictly speaking, the Constitution requires Congress to vote on war. The President's not just free to willy-nilly deploy troops wherever he wants under the guise of executive privilege. I mean, strictly speaking, he is the Commander-in-Chief of the Armed Forces, but unless Congress has duly declared war, there's nowhere to deploy the military to. Wouldn't you say so, Bill? Well, well we shouldn't even have a standing military. I, I mean, it, it depends on how far you want to go back to the root of this problem, right? Well, I mean, at this day and age, I think we could get by with minimal personnel for highly technical fields such as fighter, pilot, and 
special forces and maybe some nuclear missile silos and security, but we don't need a 1.4 million man standing There's army. There's one reason why we have a standing army, right? Imperialism. It's the only reason. And, and imperialism is driven by the international Jewish bankers. And it's the only reason why we have a standing army, is imperialism. With a, with a, um, a society of citizens, militia, Minutemen-type soldiers, where every able-bodied male of proper age has an AR-15 or whatever rifle he wishes to own and is physically fit and mentally sound to serve, we're not going to be invaded and we don't have to worry about an invasion. Switzerland. The only reason we have this large army with airborne divisions and armored divisions and artillery and helicopters... to attract the rest of the world for the benefit of the international Jew so that the Jew can loot and pillage the natural resources of the rest of the world. That's the only reason. The only reason why we're in Afghanistan is opium. That's the only reason. That might be oil-related also, but it's primarily opium. I heard that there are also $3 trillion in various mineral resources in Afghanistan. Well, well, that might be. I can't comment on that intelligibly because I don't know. The war powers resolution. Imperialists have been bogged down in the mountains of Afghanistan since the time of Alexander the Great, right? Go on. All right, to continue. The War Powers Resolution of 1973 requires the President to inform Congress about any armed conflicts America is engaged in. Friday's report isn't just uninformative about Yemen, it doesn't even mention the U.S. campaign in Pakistan, even though Defense Secretary. The defense secretary says America is, quote, at war there. So what is next? Well, there are endless headlines warning that war with Syria is coming. Other headlines warn that war with Iran is coming. Not to mention, as an aside, we had a direct hand in the overthrow of Gaddafi. Where will this all end? And I'd like to pose the question, you know, Gaddafi was obviously a socialist, someone we don't support, but aside from his, you know, hanky-panky in the 80s, He'd been pretty quiet. He was a, a secular, moderate-type Arab leader. Why did we support Islamic radical fundamentalists who are jihadists to overthrow him? What did we possibly hope to gain by handing another country over to an Islamic fundamentalist regime? And the same thing's happening in Syria, where Assad is basically a moderate, secular, socialist-type leader, and they're promoting and arming and equipping and supporting radical fundamentalist terrorist type militia groups what do they hope to gain by turning any, any nation without a Rothschild controlled central bank is a serious threat to the, to, to the Palestinian state of, of Israeli right and the first thing the um, Libyan rebels did when they took what was it uh, it wasn't Tobruk it was Benghazi when they took Benghazi and set up their temporary capital they established a central bank just as soon as they'd driven the Qaddafi loyalists out of Benghazi. Isn't it very odd for peasant rebels to do that? No doubt. There's absolutely, and I, I mean, you, that they could, you know, there's no end to the, the Jewish audacity and there's no end to the blind eye of the average American. Or the average European, that there's no end to it. It's incredible. If it weren't so well, if what was going on today 
weren't so well-grounded in the Word of God, as we see in Deuteronomy chapter 28, then there's no other excuse for the stupidity. It's absolutely amazing. Anxiety epidemic. Americans today are more unhappy and more anxious than ever before. The following is from a recent Business Insider article. According to a recent World Health Organization study, 31% of Americans are likely to suffer from anxiety problems at some point during their lifetime, compared to 25.3% of those in Colombia and 24.6% in New Zealand, the countries that rank second and third. And as an aside, I'd say New Zealand is a bad choice because New Zealand, it's one of the most promiscuous countries in the world, and it's the only country in the world where on self-surveys, women admitted to more sexual partners than the men. You know, normally men admit to more, and men typically inflate their numbers, while women would deflate their numbers. And New Zealand was the only country where the, the women had substantially more sexual partners reported than the men. And I believe the number was 28. You'd think people in developing or unstable states, those preoccupied with concerns farther down on the Maslow scale, would be more anxious than we are. And on the Maslow scale, are you familiar with the Maslow hierarchy, Bill? No. That the Maslow hierarchy is at the base of the pyramid would be things such as physical security, food, shelter, things that are needed for basic life. And then as you go higher up the pyramid, you get into things such as affection, sex, acceptance, then family, career. And then as you get to the top, it's self-actualization and just basically being happy with who you are. So it's interesting that Americans have more anxiety than, say, people in Haiti or Somalia. But I have read some articles, you know, racial science articles from the 20s and 30s that talk about how the um, Negroes aren't as likely to have neurological issues or um, psychological issues because they don't have a very developed sense of self. They don't have the um, problems that whites have in terms of psychology and anxiety because they just don't have the depth of thought and intellect that we have. So they don't spend a whole lot of time sitting around contemplating life. Absolutely. Okay, that, that, that's understandable. All right. Not so, according to the 2002 World Mental Health Survey. People in developing world countries such as Nigeria are up to five times less likely to show clinically significant anxiety levels than Americans, despite having more basic life necessities to worry about, writes Taylor Clark, author of Nerve, Poise Under Pressure, Serenity Under Stress, and The Brave New Science of Fear and Cool. What's more, when these less anxious developing world citizens emigrate to the United States, they tend to get just as anxious as Americans. The United States has transformed... Oh, world citizens. Uh, oh, okay. Go on. I'm sorry. How would you word that? How would I, well, how would I word it? Well, when these welfare-seeking <laughs> squat monsters emigrate to the United States in order to loot and pillage its, its, its whatever's left of its tax base, that's how I would word it. <laughs> but you're not the author of that book. The United States has transformed into the planet's undisputed worry champion, Clark adds. Obesity epidemic. Of all the major industrialized nations, the United States is the most obese. In a recent Gallup survey found that Americans are more concerned about our obesity epidemic than ever. They're concerned about it, but no one's doing anything about it. And nobody can deny that we are getting fatter. Back in 1962, only 13% of all Americans were obese. Today, approximately 36% of all Americans are obese. Drug addiction epidemic. 
the United States has a higher percentage of drug addicts than any other major industrialized nation does. We love to escape the pain of our daily lives. At this point, the United States has the highest rate of illegal drug use in the entire world. The United States also has a higher percentage of people addicted to prescription drugs than anyone else does. So what does that say about us exactly? Child abuse epidemic. In the United States, we treat our children very badly. Sadly, there are more than 3 million reports of child abuse in the United States every single year, and the United States has the highest child abuse death rate on the entire globe. Teen pregnancy epidemic. When our kids grow up, they tend to be very sexually active as teens. Amazingly, the United States has the highest teen pregnancy rate on the entire planet. And all of this sexual sexual activity is rapidly spreading disease among our teens. According to one study, one out of every four teen girls in the United States has at least one sexually transmitted disease. And that was amongst overall teens. Basically, we could probably say that one out of every four teen girls in the United States has, has had sex with an alien, right? And they say that I think half of all black teenagers have sexually transmitted diseases. And when you look at blacks as a whole, I believe the CDC said 80% of black women have chlamydia compared to maybe 10 or 15% of white women. But also there's a growing problem in the West, mainly in France, Britain, and the United States and Canada. Something like 20% of all women who are of childbearing age are permanently infertile due to venereal disease having contaminated and polluted their womb. And that has to be a biblical curse. Divorce epidemic. We like to make movies and television shows about families, but the truth is that the family structure in the United States has been breaking down for a very long time. Well, I'd say that, you know, we, white people, may like to make movies about that, but Jews like to show a family being two guys raising a boy, and they've each got a boyfriend on the side, and they're probably molesting the boy, too, or four women that are sharing one guy, and they'd call that a family. Today, the United States has the highest divorce rate in the entire world by a very wide margin. Some examples for the rest of the world, are we? Hmm. $16 trillion national debt. Right now, the U.S. national debt is at $15.884 trillion. We will shortly cross the $16 trillion mark. And according to a Democratic congressman in Tennessee, whose name I cannot immediately recall, he said several years ago that our true national debt was around $65 trillion, and the government's well, playing games to them. of multiculturalism and, and diversity and imperialism and, and um, all of the other evil policies we've had the last 50 years? I mean, it's pretty obvious, right? Absolutely. This is the greatest debt in the history of the world, and it is beyond criminal that we plan to pass this debt on to future generations. Our greed has destroyed the future of our children and our grandchildren, and yet we continue to borrow trillions more because we just can't help ourselves. And I'd say it's because people don't care. They don't mind that they're living large at the expense of their children and their grandchildren's future, and probably their grandchildren will curse them in their graves, won't they? Yeah, yeah. but the bottom line is there really is no national debt, right? It's some piece of paper that the Jew holds that, claims we owe him this much money because he printed the money out of thin air and loaned it to us, right? And if we just told him, hey, we're not going to pay, he wouldn't be able to do anything other than the, stamp away in rage and foment the war against us. The, the uh, national debt is about as real as Santa Claus and, and this, the, the Snow White and the Seven Dwarves, right? Well, the, 
the difference there is I can see Santa Claus in the mall once a year. The national debt, it just exists on a computer screen somewhere. Well, well, it's all a numbers game perpetrated by the Wall Street bankers. That's all of this. Political nightmare. On top of everything else, we have a horrifying lack of leadership here in America. Well, I'd say we have the leaders we deserve and the leaders the people demand. They want leaders that represent who they are. So the leaders are perverts, adulterers, fornicators, and usurers. Our last four presidents have been four of the worst presidents in U.S. history. And in 2012, we are faced with an incredibly depressing choice at the polls. Is Barack Obama really the best that the Democrats can do? Probably. The American people elected an incompetent con man to the highest office in the land. Virtually every decision that he makes is wrong, and virtually everything that he has tried to do in office has been a failure. Well, that depends on your point of view, right? I mean, if your goal is to destroy the country, everything he's done has been a success. The Republican- well, well, the bottom line is that, that the article is, is demonstrating everything that's gone wrong with the country, but it, it's not ascribing the proper reasons for it, right? It's not really talking about the Jewish issue. It's not really talking about the race issue at all. And it's not telling us why we're in the shape that we're in, right? It's really not answering those questions, is it? The article presupposes that our politicians are just incompetent men who have good intentions and want to do right, but they're just not up to the job. And I would say our politicians are wrecking this nation by design. Well, well, I did an exposition a couple of months ago that actually got a lot of downloads. It got a couple of thousand downloads. It was on the parable of the trees of the forest in, in, in Judges chapter 9. And um, let me go look for that real quick, and perhaps we could end the program on that note. I believe it's Judges chapter 9. Okay, here we are. Parable of the trees of the forest. Judges chapter 9, verse 8. The trees went forth on a time to anoint the king over them, and they said unto the olive tree, reign over us. But the olive tree said unto them, Should I leave my fatness, wherewith by me they honor God and man, and go to be promoted over the other trees? And the tree said to the fig tree, Come thou, and reign over us. But the fig tree said unto them, Should I forsake my sweetness and my good fruit, and go to be promoted over the other trees? And basically the lesson here is that the good and noble trees, the trees that produce something of value, do not want to rule over the other trees. Men who have um, productive endeavors, men who produce things of value, do not want to rule over their kindred. They want right? to be left alone to produce. That, that's the lesson here, right? And, 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 um, and, and then the tree said unto the vine, Come thou and reign over us. And the vine said unto them, Should I leave my wine, which cheers God and man, to go to be promoted over the other trees? So now the trees are, are destitute of a ruler, right? So, so in, in Judges 9:14, Then said all the trees unto the bramble, Come thou and reign over us. Now the bramble is, is a useless bush, and it produces nothing, right? And the bramble said unto the trees, If in truth you anoint me king over you, then come and put your trust in my shadow. In other words, then I'm going to rule over you, and, and, and you're going to have to depend on me, 
right? Because I'm a useless bramble. And if you really want me to rule over you, you're going to have to submit to my desires, right? And if not, if you don't submit to my desires, let fire come out of the bramble and devour the cedars of Lebanon. And the truth is that when men seek earthly kings, when men seek earthly government, earthly gods, earthly rulers, men are going to be enslaved in tyranny. The scum of the earth are going to come to be our rulers because we sought earthly rulers. And there we are. The, the parable of the trees of the forest, and yes, here we are. Okay, thank you so, for joining us. One thank more. you for joining me tonight. I'd like to read one thing out of Proverbs 1 first. How long, ye simple ones, will ye love simplicity, and the scorners delight in their scorning, and fools hate knowledge? Turn you at my reproof. Behold, I will pour out my spirit unto you. I will make known my words unto you. Because I have called, and ye refused. I have stretched out my hand, and no man regarded. But ye have set at naught all my counsel, and would, and would none of my reproof. I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your fear cometh. When your fear cometh as desolation, and your destruction cometh as a whirlwind, when distress and anguish cometh upon you, then shall they call upon me, but I will not answer. They shall seek me early, but they shall not find me. For that they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of Yahweh. They would none of my counsel. They despised all my reproof. Therefore shall they eat of the fruit of their own way and be filled with their own devices. For the turning away of the simple shall slay them, and the prosperity of fools shall destroy them. But whoso hearkeneth unto me shall dwell safely and shall be quiet from fear of evil. Well, well, no doubt when men turn to righteousness, when men turn to God, only then can men have freedom. Thank you for joining me tonight, and, and praise Yahweh. Thank for you. Now. Praise Yahweh.